0: Hello and welcome to the Government Digital Service Podcast. My name is Louise Harris and I head up the Creative and Channels team at GVS. In this episode, we're talking about our wonderful technologists the site reliability engineers, technical architects, and developers who work in multidisciplinary teams to engineer solutions to our complex architectural needs, evolve our infrastructure and tooling to keep us resilient and online and develop digital products and services used by millions of people across the UK and that are emulated by governments around the world. Technologists are a mainstay of how we help government to transform and tackle complexity for users. Think about Gov.uk. It's actually 50 front and back-end applications that are independently hosted and maintained that enable us to host over a million pages, deal with millions of visits a day, and fend off regular denial-of-service attacks. But thanks to our technologists, all our end users see is a single site they can access day and night to get the information they need from government. Tackling that kind of complexity is not always easy, but it's definitely worthwhile. And it's what GDS is here to do. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Himmel Mandalia and Louise Ryan to talk about the important role that GDS technologists play. Louise, Himmel, why don't you introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us a bit about your roles?
1: Hello, I'm Louise Ryan. I'm a lead technical architect and head of technology in government as a platform. Uh, I joined GDS uh, just under four years ago, and um, I joined GDS from the private sector where I worked in a digital agency as a technical architect.
2: And I'm Hemel. I'm head of technology for Gov.uk, and I joined about five months ago. And I've been working in government digital circles for about six years as a contractor in several roles including a developer, technical architect and a technology advisor.
0: So Louise, it sounds like we've been lucky enough to have you at GDS for a couple of years now, and Himmel, we've recently lured you over from another part of government. What is it that appeals to you both about working at GDS?
1: Oh wow, such such a big question. Um, there's so much to like about GDS uh, and working in digital and government in general really. Um, I always like refer people to the gov.uk design principles and the service standard. So if you take a look at that, it's all about doing things the right way, about doing things for everybody, having a multidisciplinary team, focusing on what the actual problems are, not solutionizing, building services, not just websites. So we continuously improve things, all sorts of that stuff. But also the tech we use is really cool as well. So it's, um, it's pretty modern stuff. Um, lots of infrastructure as code, continuous deployment, continuous delivery, um, lots of automated testing. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on for a long, long time, but this is a, you know, I think it's a brilliant place to work, and, and I love it.
0: And Louise, just just for our listeners who are maybe less familiar with government as a platform, or what we call GAP,
1: can you just run us through a bit what it's all about? So, uh, a government as a platform is a suite of digital services designed to meet uh, common needs, which can be quickly integrated into into other service teams' services. Um, So this helps reduce duplication, um, variation, and it enables um, other digital teams to uh, build their digital solutions much quicker, much faster, much more efficiently. Um, In terms of what the various services do, uh, Notify is is an extremely busy service. It's um, used by I think around four thousand seven hundred other services. That's around um, one thousand organisations across the public sector using it. So it's scaling at around one hundred and twenty new services joining every month. So that is that's pretty big. Um, so in 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 terms of the last year, they've seen a twenty five fold increase in um, volume of messages sent. So that was a, a massive scaling challenge for the team that they, um, they just, you know, really smashed out of the part. Um, they're mostly hosted on the PaaS, which is really cool. Uh, and it's a kind of asynchronous architecture. So um, there's a lot of queues helping us process messages. Um, you know, it enables us to scale and enables us to retry when things break. Um, so it's, it's good architecture. Um, pay take payments, take uh, card payments for your digital services. It also, uh, you can also use Apple Pay and Google Pay to pay for stuff. I think one of the main selling points of pay is um, how much we uh, care and test about the the journey, the paying experience for um, people who use assistive technologies. So we really put a lot of effort into making sure it works really well for everybody. Um, that's built mostly on Fargate. Uh, and, and uses some, you know, it's got to be PCR compliant, so it's a, it's a complex, necessarily complex architecture. It scales really well, um, and uh, it's being used by, I think, over 550 live services now, and it's processed over a billion pounds. Platform as a service, you host your, you can use platform as a service to host your web apps in the cloud without relying on, without worrying about uh, the infrastructure underneath. Um, so you can build your app in Python, or Ruby, or Rust, or pop it in a container and then push it up to PaaS and there you go, got a running app in the cloud. Um, also provides a bunch of backend services you can use. So backend services means like databases like Postgres or MySQL, um, things like Elasticsearch or queue services like um, simple Queue service from AWS. Um, that's, that's, the scale of this is, is, is very impressive. Um, it's being used by just over 121 organizations and between the two regions in London and Ireland that it's hosted in, it's host, it's running about 2,800 apps at the moment. And they're processing uh, an amazing amount of incoming requests. So have um, got an average of around 300 requests per second coming through those pipes. So that's quite cool. And then we've got the design system and the prototype kit team, and the design system look after gov.uk front end, which is that set of styles um, patterns and components that other teams use to build their front ends. Um, those, what's really important about those patterns and components is that they've been researched extensively and tested extensively across a vast array of digital devices um, and operating systems, and with real people and with assistive devices so we can be sure that they're you know they' they're working. Um, so obviously we do that once, so service teams from the country don't have to keep doing that work. Um, it really is an open source project as well um, the design system it actively seeks contributions from, um, the design and front end communities, uh, across, across government. Uh, and that's, that's really cool. And it's, um, yeah, it's used quite a lot. It's GitHub tells me it's, uh, it's in use by over 2,600 other repositories.
0: That must be so cool to be involved in work. That's being forked off and used in so many other contexts. Is it safe to say that there's some stuff that you can get done at GDS that maybe you can't get done elsewhere?
1: Yeah, I think it is. Um, we are at the centre of government, being part of the Cabinet Office. If we're not going to do it in the centre, then um, it's not just going to magically happen elsewhere in government. Those tools exist, so other service teams can, can really benefit from having things done once really well in the centre, so they don't have to keep reinventing that wheel. They can, they can just get started really quickly and benefit from all that work that we've done really well just once. And it's
0: not, it's not just teams kind of in and around the UK government that are getting to benefit from that approach either, right? Some of our code has also been forked by international governments to do their own thing too. What do you think are some of the sort of GDS-led technology success stories out
1: there? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, so there's lots of examples of this happening. Um, so take, for example, Notify. Um, that's been forked and uh, used by the Canadian government and the Australian government to create their own notification platforms. And, uh, you know, that, that doesn't just, just happen and then stop. Um, we uh, continue to collaborate with those teams working on those platforms so we can all learn from each other. And it's not just about the tech either. Um, that's a really important thing. So obviously Notify have developed a, a whole bunch of, of operational practices and services around the service itself. So we share, we share those as well and, you know, help people figure out what works, what doesn't, um, and it's not just notify. Um, so Paz, Paz works with that's platform as a service. They work with their equivalents in um, in Australia and, and the US government to um, share best practice. And then you've got the wonderful design system um, that's been forked by a lot of countries, and not just other countries, but um, other authorities within within the UK. So. Uh, for example, my own council, Wiltshire Council, they um, they fought the design system and used it to build their own website. Um, but in terms of other countries, I think it's used in Australia, New Zealand, in Canada, and the Netherlands. So yeah, massive, massive success stories of of reuse of our of our hard
0: work. Wow, so lots to be proud of. And Himmel, I guess same question to you. What is it that drew you to GDS?
2: GDS is um, sort of interestingly um, positioned right at the uh, the centre and 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 being sort of highly visible. It it can be a an exemplar of what good sort of long lived teams services um, looks like. So all of the things that are articulated in the service standard, um, in the technology code of practice, you know, we we work to those ourselves since we since we developed them. But I think what we've quite clearly put out very recently in the GDS strategy for the next three years, um, the core five missions, particularly the ones around GDS being the place, essentially the shop that builds and runs the common components and platforms that the rest of government build their services on top of. I think that is now clearer clearer than it's ever been. And uh, you know, there's something that for me anyway, you know, when I was thinking about a, a bit of a, a career change last year, Drew me in. I thought this is a really interesting time to come in and join. There's a there's a real sort of transformation uh, energy in the air again.
1: So it's
0: great for our teams to know that their work is having an impact, not just here in the UK and for our users, but also around the world as well. And Himmel, like you say, to be part of that, what did you call it? Transformation buzz. I think that kind of flies in the face of the idea that jobs in civil service are sort of slow or old school, right? Do you think that there are other misconceptions about what a technology job in government might be like versus what it's actually like at GDS day to day?
2: I think I think what's interesting here is, um, you know, we're about a a decade into a transformation journey that's bringing in the sort of technology practices around continuous delivery, being agile, having autonomous self-organizing teams. um, And a lot of the, the technology driven processes that surround that and the ways of working. And I think it's easy for us to lose sight of um, the uneven distribution and maturity of this across government. So I think it's I think it's interesting because government can't be seen as a as a monolithic thing. I think if you're outside and you're thinking of uh, you know if you're if you're a developer, a reliability engineer, a technical architect, and you think you know you want to work in government, you want to work in the public sector, um, and that could be local authorities as well, of course, it is it is a very unevenly distributed um, landscape of maturity. Um, I mean, I would say we're pretty much at the at the higher end of the maturity curve at GDS here, of course, because what we've been doing for the, the last decade. And I think what's exciting for me as someone that's worn many hats and played different roles in this sort of uh, journey is it's it it can be it can be rewarding to work somewhere where a lot of the basic capabilities, the fundamental enablers are already in place and you can deliver value and work with teams. If you consider GDS, then you would find something that's much more akin to a a sort of modern sort of conventional tech company.
0: I think that digital maturity curve point is such a good one because, yeah, with almost 10 years under our belt, GDS has definitely been through a lot of that foundational and capability building stuff that some of the organisations might still be grappling with. And I think that gives us kind of view on what their pain points are so we can shape products and platforms that are going to meet their needs at different parts of the curve and i think that actually leads us quite nicely to the next thing that i wanted to chat to you both about so our regular listeners will know that earlier in the year we launched our new strategy and centered it around five key missions if you missed it check out our may episode of the podcast where you can hear our chief exec tom reed talk more about that but in essence i suppose over the next few years our focus boils down to this, helping to create services that just work for the user. So no matter how complex the underlying systems are, or how much those people know about government, we're going to make services that just work. So mission four in our strategy, that's looking at how we can make it sort of effortless for departments and agencies to digitise their services by looking at centrally developed common components. Louise, maybe you can tell us a bit about what's happening in that area?
1: I Um, To sum it up, you know, we've got uh, a bunch of really cool services that are already providing value. So um, as a piece of work that's ongoing to just make sure they keep delivering value and can scale with the increasing usage that they experience. They're also, um, you know, obviously building on top of that and looking what else we can do to meet uh, user needs. Um, One exciting part of that is the work we're doing in the Collecting Information from Users team, so um, that team is, well, I think it sums up, it sums up its work. It's, um, you know, we want every single form that's published on gov.uk to be accessible. That's huge. Uh, a lot of the forms on gov.uk at the moment are um, published in PDF or, or, other, or other document formats. They present challenges, especially to, to users who, who need to use assistive technologies, such as screen readers or magnifiers. And actually completing PDFs online is is no easy task either. It's pretty difficult. Whereas um, completing an online form is a much better user experience and hopefully much more accessible. Um, so it's that is a that is a massive problem space and a really interesting one. And um, we're just entering an alpha alpha phase with that team. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a very exciting challenge. We've presented with ourselves in, in GAP.
0: And I don't think we can really kind of understate the scale of that challenge because I think everybody around GDS we treat PDFs a little bit like our, our form of the word but um, the team blogged recently and I think equated that if without doing this work if we were just relying on the existing kind of form building systems that were out there it would take government about 70 years just to convert the PDFs that already live on gov.uk which are obviously growing, if not every day, then certainly most weeks. So super important work. Um, was there anything that came out of the discovery that that surprised you folks?
1: Um, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's the scale of the challenge. And it certainly surprised me. Um, but when you when you think about it, it's, it's not that surprising, actually, because there's um, teams right around government that don't have the digital capability to do anything else. Um, this is, you know, PDFs another. Other document formats are the tool they have, so that's the tool they they have to use. Um, so again, Gap is uniquely placed in the centre of government to do something about that, um, and that's that's hopefully what we'll be able to do in the coming years. So it sounds like through government as a
0: platform, right now we are already kind of solving common problems at scale. But what about? And sorry to make you solutionise on the fly here, Louise, because I know that everything we do is evidence based and user led. Um, where do you see the next beyond the collecting information from users work? Do you see any themes emerging about where that next common problem is that GDS might want to solve?
1: Yeah, so um, we are doing some research on this, uh, so, but I don't want to preempt that. But um, I can, you know, there's there's stuff we already know that that service teams have to just keep doing over and over again. There's you know there's thing complex problems that don't seem complex. Until you really dig into them, so things like uh, postcode lookups, um, service teams have to keep doing that. Is is there a way we can we can provide a solution for that in the centre?
0: And that's all such important stuff, right? If we if we want to live the transformation at the scale that we we all want to see, one of our other central focuses is going to be this idea of joining up services so they solve whole user problems, even if that means spanning multiple departments. Himal, I guess. As the platform for government services gov.uk is going to be pretty fundamental to how we get that done right
2: yeah so it's interesting because people can get a little bit of, a little bit confused about what we mean when we say gov.uk so if we think about it as sort of layers of the onion at the sort of widest layer you have what is known as the uh, gov.uk proposition so that as a user you know, you go somewhere, you see a website, you see something that's branded with the crown and the styling around that, that's a gov.uk site, but it could very easily be a transactional service to interact with, for, to do a- everything from paying your taxes to book a prison visit to renew your driving license. And those are all on the gov.uk proposition. So they feel like a single website as you move across them. And we have mechanisms like the service standard. If you work to that, that means that you're going to end up with a pretty joined up journey. But for me, the the, the layer of gov.uk that I work on and the technology I'm responsible for, that's that's the main page you come to when you go to www.gov.uk. That is a large platform with hundreds of thousands of pages of content that we we hold. Uh, and a set of tools that we run for thousands of users across government to create, to offer that content, to edit it, to manage it, um, including our internal content teams here. And we also run technology which of course delivers all those pages so um, they're, they're available globally.
0: And right now, a lot of that content is quite static, right? Because we need to publish it and serve it quickly and then hold it in the cache and serve it up again over and over.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gov.UK delivers a lot of content right now, but it's usually it's relatively static. It's relatively flat content. It's pages. And one of the things that we're, we're exploring now is if you have an account, if we based on consent, if we know some things about you, your approximate location, Or other attributes we have, we may be able to tailor that content. We may be able to personalize it to put content in front of you that's relevant to what you're doing. Maybe even be proactive, send you personalized notifications, of course, a full consent model and opt in, an easy opt out around that. But in order to do that, in order to personalize the content or even have content chunked up so it can be contextual, so a different snippet is mixed in based on a tag or some piece of data that we're using to construct that, that all of that will require a fundamental re-architecting of Gov.UK's applications. So the front-end applications need to change dramatically in order to stitch together that content in real time. The way that content is stored, the way it's structured, the schemas that are used to determine how that content is broken down into small snippets, how it's tagged, the taxonomy, all of that needs a rethink and a redesign. And the publishing tools themselves, the tools that are used by the service essentially that is used by the content creators that experience they have in not only creating content but the taxonomy they're applying to it how they're tagging it all of that needs a, a rethink and a redes- redesign as well so that sounds huge and it is but it's not a sort of big bang uh, or once program of work this is um, an incremental and iterative um, uh, Stream of work like like how we do everything, which is going to uh, which is going to be done bit by bit. The interesting challenge is that we are talking about rebuilding the ship while there are people in it bit by bit. And this is very much that ship of Theseus uh, metaphor, right? we're replacing the planks, and when we're done, it's going to be a very different looking ship. It's going to be a ship that does very different things. We're not even completely clear exactly what it looks like, but if we really extend the metaphor we do have a good idea of where we're going.
0: That personalization agenda that you talked about there, Himmel, it sounds to me like it's gonna make the site work a lot harder. I mean, we're already processing thousands and thousands of kind of transactional services, but this sounds like a real shift. You talked about um, the GovUK account functionality as well, which obviously we that last year and had, I think about 50,000 people sign up for that as part of the Brexit checker, uh, Brexit transition checker. Um, We've obviously been iterating that software ever since. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about where we're at now with accounts?
2: So, what we've done to test the hypothesis with the Brexit transition checker and the the prototype account functionality, which which has been amazing, which has been an amazing learning experience, because we have had, as you as you mentioned, there fifty thousand people sign up. But because we're working off of an architecture and an infrastructure setup that doesn't support this yet we have done those as as separate applications which we've used uh, we've hosted in um, in platform as a service in PaaS, actually one of the products louise has uh, mentioned and is responsible for which is which is great just to be able to use our own tools for things like this but in order to have that as part of gov.uk's core architecture to support more of that personalization that's where we do need to have that rethink that redesign and that rearchitecting of all of our front end apps and our publishing tools and the content platform. So I'm currently working on the future platform services and architecture strategy for gov.uk. So all of the things I've just mentioned there are going to be written up in plain language around what we're thinking of. And I I view gov.uk breaking out into a few really simple long-term value propositions or services and platforms, and they are presentation or the front end, what you experience as www.gov.uk when you go there. The publishing service or tools that Of thousands of users across government use a content platform that engine that heart of content that does all the heavy lifting and underneath all of that the infrastructure platform that runs the applications the databases all of those things and really looking to put an emphasis on the content platform that engine of content i'm trying to move to a world where we can almost think of gov.uk as a as a sort of headless machine that it does have a front end but really most prominent part is the functionality that does all the lifting because in future there may be an app there may be other ways we may be syndicating content Um, these are all things we want to test but having the flexibility and the ability to do that is is vital because the way people um, the way people interact with uh, services online is quite different now to how it was a decade ago and so we need to move on and have A much more agile much more flexible architecture that lets us meet users where they are rather than having a just a website you know we don't we don't live in that that era anymore
0: so sounds then like we want to shift to a a bit more of a channel agnostic approach then louise you're a technical architect what's your take on what Himmel's just said
1: yeah it's uh it's a bit daunting actually (laughs) Himmel won't mind me saying that um you've got it's, it's a big job um to re-architect such a big and important platform as gov.uk. Um, it's it's really exciting. And it, you know, it's uh, yeah, it won't be on your own Himmel. Um, you know, the rest of uh of GDS is is very interested in this work as well. And there's crossovers, right? Um government platform is very interested in, in what what's happening with um, gov.uk accounts um because we might be able to use those features in our services so for example pay um, when someone's paying for something if they're signed into their account maybe they can save that that payment method if they want to um yeah just solutionizing on the fly uh because obviously we'd need to research that to see if it was a thing people would be interested in but but obviously we you know we've keeping a very close eye on what what Himmels up to and and want to be part of it where we can
2: i 100% agree with that louise i think the thing here is i think the um I think what we're doing with our with our digital identity program with the government UK accounts, it really is it really is that, that golden thread. It is the thing that ties all of this together. It does, it does offer the cohesion between all of our products and services. So we blur the boundaries between them. And I think notifications, payments, the publishing, the content delivery all of that and, and then you bring into that all of the services across government as well, they're all tied together through your account so what you end up with ultimately is a completely seamless experience, a citizen shouldn't need to, shouldn't, he shouldn't it shouldn't even occur to them that um, a separate group of people delivered this piece as opposed to another bit.
0: You say some kind of huge, huge programmes of work coming up, sounds like we're probably going to need a few few additional crew, if, if people are interested in getting involved in this, uh, where where can they go to find out more
2: so if you search for GDS careers you'll find our careers site we have a we have a a campaign going to hire developers right now but more will be launching soon I'm particularly keen on trying to see about bringing juniors in um we need we need more we need more juniors into um to to not only be um working with our teams but also to be um Engaging in things that we've done previously at GDS like fire breaks where you get that little bit of free time to experiment and come up with things. Um, and of course, there'll be a, a range of more senior roles as well. Um, there'll be there'll be more roles going out across across the board at all levels.
0: So there's lots of really great new job opportunities coming up across GDS. For people who might be interested in that, what would you say the culture is like in our teams?
2: I think having, having just come through a crisis or crises where we were highly visible and doing a lot of work to surface essential guidance around coronavirus we've had to organize ourselves around mission focused teams which has meant a lot of the work that we planned and even written about i i think i've since starting you know i've dug into some of the blog posts that we put out in 2016 and 17 amazing planning around um, publishing tools and platform that we were not able to pick up or continue because because of emergency work urgent priorities Around coronavirus and some of the work around Brexit as well, um, those are all things we can return to now. you know, having gotten to know my technologist community over the last five months, I think there's a real appetite to return to some of those longer term value streams, so working on uh, services, being long lived teams, and what I've mentioned earlier around things like yeah, publishing service and content platform, you know really giving groups of people, not just developers but designers and everyone involved in a multidisciplinary team that agency and that long term ownership over a problem and uh, over over the improvement of something so i think some of that excitement's coming back right now and so yeah it's a, it's it's a great time to join it's a very active community i,
1: I don't think i've um shouted from the rooftops enough about how important long lived autonomous teams are um they really are the the reason that government as a platform has been as successful as it has. The, there's people that are really committed to these services, um, really understand the problem spaces inside and out, and just yeah, deliver amazing results and outcomes uh, as a result. Um, and yeah, this is this is not just um, from a technical perspective, but uh, you know, we 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 couldn't build the tech we build without the help of our. Um, our user centered design colleagues and, and product and delivery we uh, the selling points for me uh, I mentioned earlier is is how we work in in teams as a unit, um how we figure out the things that we that we should be working on, making sure that the things are of the most value and really understanding the problem space and then um, developing the tech uh, to solve those problems. and that 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 way we work is to me as a technologist is, is very compelling and, and reason alone to join. But um, also we use some really modern tech. Uh, so uh, our programming languages in Gap are, are Python, uh, Java, uh, Node, and then we've got some some other programming languages go in the mix. Um, but we build stuff on, on really modern technologies. So a lot of stuff on uh, Amazon Web Services, um as I said, we use modern practices like continuous integration and continuous delivery. Um, we do a lot of automated testing so we can deploy with confidence multiple times a day to make sure yeah we're getting our stuff out there quickly and getting people to actually use it as fast as possible. Hopefully that's a that's a compelling story about, about why GDS is a really good place to work. I didn't actually mention the culture in in all of that, and I think that's what you actually asked me, but um the the agile. Uh, culture here is is to be open to be transparent to share what you're working on with others and that can be through show and tells through pairing um through having your code open in out there on uh in github i really i really like the uh culture at gds it's a kind of you know when was in the office come up to my desk and ask me anything kind of thing uh, no question too silly um yeah i think it's a it's a lovely place to work
2: yeah, I think the only I think the only thing uh, I'd add, and Louise said it all there really was, you know, if you're a technologist that's passionate about open source uh, development and the technologies that were mentioned there, and you, if particularly if you're old enough, you have friends uh, like me who are old enough to remember when open source was very much the underdog, and you know, we were we were all sort of part of a rebel alliance trying to to do a good thing. It's amazing that this has now converged with um, trying to do good for the public as well. So. Um, I, I can I can think of a better argument to sell it than that, than that. You get to use cool tech, do open source stuff, so do good for tech and do good for the public. I mean, what more do you want, really? And we pay pretty well as well.
0: That's pretty cool. And if people want to find out about our code, which obviously we publish openly where we can, um, where can they find that? Uh, all our code is published on GitHub.
1: So um, you need to go to GitHub, and it's AlphaGov is our organization. It's all in there. Um, I can't remember how many repos there are, but there's a lot.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, if anybody's got a quiet Saturday afternoon and they fancy digging into literally thousands of repos, head over to our GitHub to do that. Yeah, so there you have it, an inside look into how technologists at GDS are doing the hard work to make it simple for users. Some seriously impressive and exciting stuff. And if you want to stay up to date with what's going on, please do follow us on the GDS blogs and check out our GitHub. A reminder that if you're a developer, a site reliability engineer, or a technical architect, who fancies a new challenge as part of a great team doing work that impacts literally millions of people, you need to search GDS careers because we're hiring now. Louise Himmel, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat to me today. I don't know about anyone else, but you have left me with the impression of our technologists acting like a bevy of swans, calmly and gracefully gliding across the surface, totally belying, all of the hard work and energy that's happening just underneath to make sure we're headed in the right direction. And thank you to you, our listeners. Remember, you can find all episodes of the Government Digital Service podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. And our transcripts are available on Podbean.
2: Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.
1: Bye.